Hey folks, welcome back to the Section 1 Podcast. Now, if you missed our last episode, then please pause this episode right here and go check that one out. Because this here is actually the continuation of the last episode. Um, we basically, we took a little bit of a break due to the COVID-19 pandemic and looking at how the cases and so on were affecting our country. So we finally got back on air and this is the second part of you know of the discussion that we were having so we don't want you to miss out with this stuff from the first episode so if you've not paused yet and gone back to listen to the the first episode or rather the last episode then i'm going to assume that you've already listened to it and we're quite thankful for that so we look forward to you enjoying the next part of the discussion where we focus on the state of emergency and the curfew here in trinidad and tobago Right, welcome back to section one, guys. Um, so I guess one of the things that we needed to talk about and to update everyone, I mean, our show is kind of, we want to keep everyone updated on what laws affect you at this point. Um, and I think Larry should be putting it up on the screen very shortly. It's on the screen. It's on the screen. Good. So just to give it some backdrop, um, prior to the state of emergency being implemented, we would have had certain regulations being put out there by the government under the public health ordinance. The public health ordinance is a very old piece of legislation, which has various legislative provisions for um, the cleaning of your premises, for dealing with diseases and that sort of thing, right? I mean, in my view and in the view of many lawyers, many, many jurists in our country, the public health ordinance did not give the power to the government or to the executive to create the type of regulations that were created under them. We've had some challenges to, in court. They've gone to the Court of Appeal. Um, they, I think they're on the way to the Privy Council. I, it is my view, at least at this point, that the regulations um, that were previously enacted by the government to do things like close down businesses, to create curfews, to restrict people's movement, to force them to wear masks, those things weren't necessarily um, the, the public health order, maybe not masks, but certainly not, um, allowed by the public health ordinance. Um, it didn't give the government the power to do those restrictions. So what has happened is that the government has now passed what I think is the correct move. Uh, if you wanted to do these things, this is not about whether the policy is correct. It's whether, about whether or not you're actually doing the legal policy correctly. And what has mm -hmm. happened, and if you could stop there at, um, at three, right? What has happened, especially in, in, in order to create a curfew, um, They've promulgated emergency powers under the constitution pursuant to a state of emergency. So the constitution of Trinidad and Tobago, it gives you certain constitutional rights under section four, freedom of expression, freedom of movement, freedom um, not to be deprived of your liberty and of your property without due process. Those are the very popular um, rights that we all know about, constitutional rights. What you have also under the state of emergency, under the constitution is provision for emergency time in times of war, in times of other emergencies and pestilence and the outbreak of disease is expressly mentioned in the constitution. The government can take emergency measures and create emergency regulations in order to deal with, um, in order to deal with that emergency in a very 
um, flexible way. And what we've seen happen is the promulgation of two sets of regulations. We are the first um, set, and now we have the most updated set, which has come in recently. The most updated set simply already um, wanted to make certain provisions for um, the public holidays. Well, we, we, we had one for Indian Arrival Day, and now we have one for Corpus Christi, which I think most people have observed. I think I saw someone being charged today, um, but you know we don't want to talk about that as yet. In any event, what we need to understand is that a lot of the things that were created under the regulations pursuant to the public health regulations have found themselves now in the emergency, state of emergency regulations. So all of the things about businesses being closed, about all of, um, about bars being closed, et cetera, have found themselves in the state of emergency regulations. So this isn't something that we're entirely unfamiliar with. Um, the, the regulations under the public health regulations remain, remain in effect minus these provisions. So the things for wearing masks, for instance, the mask law is still law, even though you may not see it in the state of emergency regulations, it still remains law and is under the public health ordinance. Now, um, what you need to understand about the state of emergency regulation is that it now gives very, very, very broad power to the police. And I think I want to start um, there. If you, if you look at Larry, the section is, if you could go down to... Seven. Yeah, seven. It's seven, yeah. Section seven, which is page 785. Right, yeah, so you have it there. No, no, go down, go down, sorry. Yeah, yeah go down, yeah. And basically what I could what it says is that that that's the wrong, that's subsection, Larry. You have to go to the yeah. substantive section seven. It's page 785. Yeah, one sec. Get in there now. Yep. Yeah. It will be so, so much nicer if they name these pages the same way it is in the document. Yes, yes. There we go. So 785, and look at, right, so 7. Right, yeah, there we go. Right, so if you look at 7, and that's the one I want to start with, because that is very important for people to understand. Where a police officer considers that a number of people are gathered together in contravention of these regulations, the police officer may, in addition to his powers, to charge and arrest, or to arrest and charge such persons, may alternatively... So the police officer is given a discretion. You're not supposed to gather in contravention of these regulations, but the police also have now the power to directly gathering to disperse. So the police can give an instruction, disperse, direct any person to return to the place where he's living. I remember last year we had um, where, where people were taking objection to police telling them to, to go home. The oh, police man. now are given that type of power, remove yeah. any person from the gathering, and they can also arrest you in those circumstances, right? And those are very, very broad powers which the police have been given. I also want you to go down now, Larry, to, to eight. So it's the next page at 786. You'll see eight one, yeah. So at eight one, this is a very important piece of, um, of the regulation. I think everybody needs to look at it. Notwithstanding any law to the contrary, a police officer may arrest without warrant any person who he reasonably suspects 
has acted or is acting or is about to act in a manner prejudicial to public health, public safety, or public order, or to have committed or is committing an offense of these regulations. So all the section says is that a police officer is given the power to arrest you for a wide range of conduct. Anything that the officer thinks it or reasonably suspects is prejudicial to public health or public safety. Now, the natural question to everyone on everyone's mind is, well, what is public health? What is public safety? And I agree with you. I think this is way too broad. It gives way too much discretion to police officers. In fact, today, um, I don't know if you gentlemen saw it. I saw a video on Facebook where the police officers pulled up um, to, a, 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 I think, an establishment and were ordering people to take down the business signs. So they had signs up outside their business premises, which obviously would operate when their business was operating. Their business seemed to be closed from the video. Right. And you had a police officer ordering the gentleman to take down his sign. And I think that was absolutely crazy. And you see, that is the problem we have when you give police. And it doesn't, it's not as slow on any police officer. But you give any individual such wide and broad power, they have no idea what they should do or how to exercise it. So they're going to use it as they see fit. And then you have inconsistent, arbitrary application of the law. And that's a serious problem. And I think yep. in terms of advising citizens, I think that if any citizen is being told something or to do something, he, you have the right to ask the officer, officer, could you please identify what section of the emergency powers you're acting under? And there's nothing wrong in asking that question. And he has to tell you. Also, I would also tell you, citizens, if you think you're being harassed by the police, to ask what are the grounds that you reasonably suspect me for breaching the regulations. And those may seem like very innocent things or they, those may seem like ineffective things. But let me tell you, when you're in a, a disagreement with a police officer, those things are very important. Those are very important tools because it shows, it shows the officer that you're aware of the law, you know what is happening, and that you, want, you demand accountability. And yes, we've seen instances of police abuse, but I would tell every citizen, don't be afraid to stand up for your rights. As long as you think you're acting within the law, you have a right to act within the law. And you also have the right to demand from the police. What are the reasons he thinks that you're breaching the regulation? And what yeah. are the grounds he thinks you're breaching the regulations from? Um, one of the other things I want to get on to is section 11 and 11.2. So it's the very next page, Larry. 11 and 11.2. Yeah, this is important. And, right. 11.2, notwithstanding any law to the contrary, the chief of defense staff under defense act shall hold his, hold his forces in readiness to assist and if called upon the commissioner of police to cooperate and assist with the commissioner. And 11.2, where the defense, where a member of the defense force referred to in subregulation one, shall for the purposes of these regulations have the powers of a police officer and shall we acting in accordance with any general or specific instruction of the chief of defense staff or any superior officer of the force be given um, given in pursuant of subregulation one, be deemed to be acting in performance of his duties. Basically, what this does is give the defense force officers, the army officers, the same powers of arrest as a police. And this is probably one of the reasons why they had to introduce emergency powers in order yeah. to give the defense force the power of arrest. 
right. because previously the most the defensors officers could do was do joint patrols with police they mm-hmm. couldn't really arrest they could give assistance in terms of force and numbers now they give any power for arrest my concern is obviously in my view and i'm not a security expert do we have a commissioner of police who likes to chide chide people who aren't security experts but i could tell him you don't have to be a security expert to understand that police are trained for something and army officers are trained for something else. Police officers are trained to deal with civil disturbances, disturbances within a community. You know how to de-escalate, de-escalate. you know how to defuse situations. Your, even I would suspect the way you deploy force is different. An army officer is trained differently. An army officer, I would think, is trained to use lethal force. He isn't trained to necessarily be suppressed. And that's the problem when you unleash a a cohort of officers on the population, you give them powers of arrest, you could end up with serious problems. But for the purposes of each citizen, I think it's important that you understand in any event that army officers have this power. If they say they come to act in pursuant to this power, you aren't to question that they, they do have the power to do it. Um, but you are still entitled to ask officers what powers are they acting under specifically and what are the reasons, what are the grounds by which you suspect that I have broken the law or acted in contrary to this, acted contrary to this um, regulation. I would tell everyone to look at section um, three of the regulations um, and section four because three, four. they set out yeah, three and four, because they set out um, they set out the sections, the essential services, just as the previous regulations had. Yeah. So groceries, um, groceries, um, farmers, fishermen, those types of things, manufacturing, energy sector. They set out the exceptions and they tell you workers who support that are also allowed. I think it's three subsections, seven um, sets it out. So that's always important. And also, you also need to remember um, one of the things that I, we said at the beginning of this regulation is that the regulations are very clear. Where you can work from home, you should work from home. Yes. Right? And I think if we could just find that section, Larry, that is at section three, uh, that's 763, 763, and you'll see it there. Yeah, that's it, 3B. Perfect. So many people feel that they, because they are, many people feel, and you have to correct this misconception, many people feel that because you work in one of the essential fields that you are allowed to go out, correct. that you're allowed yeah. to go out and, and you're allowed to be in your, your offices and you're allowed to carry on as normal while the rest of society isn't. And that's not true. My interpretation of this, it's very clear. And everyone can look at it there. Section 3B, be at any workplace so you're prohibited from being at any workplace unless the services are specified in subregulation 10 and subregulation 10 sets out the exceptions, the essential services, and it uses the word and. So it doesn't separate. It says and. So when you're reading that section, you have to say and shall where possible work from home. Correct. And I think a very strict and proper interpretation of this law is that even though you may fall with an essential service, if you can work from home, then you should work from home because it's possible. And we have to achieve both the spirit and letter of the law. 
And so yes. that is for also all employers of, of persons who have essential businesses. You don't need your entire staff to come out and they can achieve the same tasks from home. Don't force them to come out. Let them point. do what they could do from home. And I think yep. that's the way we have to operate. Um, Agreed. One of, the, one of the last things I want to say is that um, overall, in terms of these regulations, they're very strict. And I think fundamentally, they, they suppress a lot of constitutional rights. But the word I use is suppress. They do not take away your constitutional rights. You still have the rights of due process. So a tribunal has been set up. If you are detained under detention powers in this emergency regulation, you still have access to court. You still have access to your lawyer. You still have access to a magistrate if you're charged. You can mm -hmm. still obtain bail. Um, you're still entitled to see a lawyer when you're being held at the station. You're still entitled to request a lawyer if anything happens. You're still entitled to demand of the, the officers who are, who, are, who are asking you to comply with the law. What are their reasons for doing it? And, and record them, record the reasons, record what they tell you because you can, you're entitled to challenge it in court. That is not to encourage the citizens to rebel and protest against the regulations. But at the same time, the rule of law still prevails. And I always feel it doesn't matter where or under what conditions society operates. Without the rule of law, we have no society. That is true. Society depends on the rule of law. There's a famous case in England which said that even, among, even in the clash of arms, the law prevails. And that's a famous case in England where, where reg emergency regulations were passed during the time of war. Um, World War, it was the, the outbreak of World War II. Britain was being bombed. London was being bombed. They had just lost a big battle in France at Dunkirk and they were in retreat. And despite that, a challenge was brought to the regulations and the court said, and one of the judges, Lord Atkin, very famously in a dissent, in a dissenting judgment, which is hailed even today as the correct judgment, he said that even amidst the clash of arms, the laws of our land shall prevail and the laws still speak in one voice. And so that we still have the rule of law and we still have laws and lawyers and persons to protect your rights. So don't ever feel that because the state of emergency is there, that you've been stripped of your rights. You have not been stripped of your rights. And that, I mean, that's, that's, my, that's what I want to tell people in relation yeah. to the state of emergency. I have seen and I have noticed a lot of commentary coming from the commissioner of police. I have noticed a lot of commentary coming from other citizens telling you, um, other officials telling you what you have to do. The laws are there for a reason. We could read it, we could understand it, we could speak to lawyers and interpret it. I have a problem with this arbitrary system where the commissioner of police could authorize who is on the road and who is not on the road and give you curfew passes and all that nonsense. That to me gives too much power to an individual. Um, it should be clearly stated and there should be a better process for it. You don't have to go cap in hand begging for a chance to go out onto the road, especially if you are doing the central services, even if it's during curfew hours. As a lawyer, if I have to go and visit a client who's arrested late at night, I am not going to conduct the commission of police to get a curfew pass. I'm a lawyer, I'm entitled to go and see him because that's my... That's my job, and it's the person's constitutional right to have access to a lawyer. That isn't taken away, right? So these are the kind of things that we need to understand and appreciate going forward. Nice. Yeah? Thanks a lot for that, Kyle. That was definitely very informative. I mean, yeah. um, we've been hearing so many different things about the state of emergency, and many of them cover similar topics. But I really like that quote um, from, was it Lord Atkins? 
Lord yeah, so even amidst the clash of arms, the law is not silent. Yes, that's it. Yeah, that is a famous case called Liversage versus Anderson, I believe is the name of the case. It's... And that was a very, and if I could just tell you, it was a very interesting case and it has a lot of parallels to what is happening now. When the war broke out in England, they passed a defense act and they passed regulations which said that they could, uh, the, the Home Secretary could order the, the detention of any person who is acting against the public interest or the national public security. So it's very similarly worded to what we have here. Right. And after debating the House of Commons, they introduced into it that he had to have reasonable grounds to do it, right? Um, so the law ended up being that you had to have reasonable grounds, just as we have here, in order to detain um, someone. A, a, a gentleman was detained. He brought the case to court. And the majority of the House of Lords held that you had to interpret the statute according to the period of time that was going on. And so the Home Secretary may not, may not have needed reasonable grounds. Right. Save and accept one judge, and that judge is Lord Atkin, and all of the laws now, all lawyers and all judges now agree that he was right and the majority was wrong. And Lord Atkin said very famously in that in that thing, as you as you said there, Larry, even amongst the clash of arms, the laws are not silent. And he also said a very he made it very funny, he made a very funny quip by saying that the language of the law does not change because you have a war going out. So reasonable grounds doesn't disappear. And he said the only authority that he knew where language could change was Alice in Wonderland, right? <laughs> it's a very funny part of the judgment. But he said it's only in Alice in Wonderland where Humpty Dumpty tells Alice, if we've ever read the book, that words mean what the masters say. It's a very famous quote in um, Lewis Carroll's Alice in Wonderland. But, but, but that was the analogy he was drawing. He said, look, language doesn't change because of the condition. Language right. mean exactly what it means. Yeah. <laughs> completely, completely agreed. And um, yeah, thanks all for that, Kyle. We're going to take another short break. We'll get back to you. We're going to come back right, right after like a couple of minutes. Just going to run a few ads. Uh, we're going to be having a little bit of discussion about um, some work you all recently did with regards to the proclamation of uh, animal rights and the role that you all would have played in that process. So yep. stay with us. Just going to have a short break. Even amidst the clash of arms, the laws are not silent. Pretty moving stuff, right? Well, I hope you all enjoyed part two of our discussion where we went into some details around the state of emergency and the curfew in Trinidad and Tobago. Um, we have one more part to this series, this small series that we're doing here that's uh, going to be going live in about two days time. And we thank you for joining us so far. And we hope that you enjoy the next episode that we have up for you. Don't forget to like, share, subscribe, and all that other stuff. We really appreciate the fact that you guys have made it to the end of this episode and are looking forward to the next. Bye.